Hello and welcome to the Hustle and Bustle podcast. My name is Nicole Bennett and I'm an urban and regional planner and I'm the host of this podcast. Each episode I bring you conversations with city shapers and urban thinkers, leaders in the field of urban planning and city building. I'm located on the beautiful Gold Coast in Australia. We are one of the host cities for the Summer Olympics and Paralympics in 2032. The next 10 years is being described as the golden decade for our city and our region. The conversations on this podcast help us understand the opportunities and challenges ahead. So please take a minute from your busy hustle and bustle day and let's have a great conversation. And welcome to episode nine of the Hustle and Bustle podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Natalie Raymond. Hello, Nicole. Hello, Natalie. Thanks very much for having me. (laughs) So Natalie's career in planning has spanned 25 years with experience in both the private and the public sector. She's currently the executive director of Walter Consulting Group. She's also the co-founder of YIMBY, a non-for-profit organisation saying yes in my backyard to good development that makes a difference in people's lives. The YIMBY Group is a proactive response to the NIMBY movement, which is the not in my backyard, which is too often the response we hear from the communities maybe fighting against development. How are you today, Nan? Uh, I'm, I'm really well and I'm um, excited about talking about one of my passion topics, which is YIMBY. So thanks for joining me and in person today. It's one of the, it's only the second podcast I've yeah. done in person. The first one was with Paul. Nice. Um, and I'm in Brisbane today. I'm attending the Asia Pacific Cities Summit um, and you've come into South Bank to have a chat with me and to record this episode, which is awesome. Thank Fantastic. you. Um, and I've asked you on the podcast today to chat about the community's participation in planning um, and how we can get better at accommodating growth within our neighbourhoods that benefits those existing residents and getting them on board with the changes that are occurring. So I thought we might start by just chatting about what is YIMBY and um, when did you start the group and what are you hoping to achieve with it? So YIMBY is in essence, yes, in my backyard, but it's a whole lot more than that. And it and it's definitely evolving um, over the years. So have to say at the beginning it was literally a hashtag it was a a term we we often hear about the not in my backyard there's always a reason you know to say yes we know we need to have more housing or um, you know shops and restaurants or new infrastructure but just not in my backyard and that's been a a term that's been in our um, I guess urban literature for many years and Yimby really um, was a a term uh, used in newsletters over in the US and it was really just a a hashtag to say we want to be part of this conversation and put a different narrative on the table but over the years it's definitely turned into much more of a a movement or a mindset about how to have that community conversation and put the benefits of development into that discussion and on the table. And so we set up Yimby Queensland five years ago and it was inspired um, certainly as a hashtag to begin with. So really just at the time writing blogs and and putting a hashtag and and trying to create a link and and something to remember um, the conversation by. But we once we started doing that and and reading a lot more about this term and the the challenges that different cities around the world were having 
we heard about the world's first Yimby conference and that was in Boulder in Colorado and uh, we we just went well we have to be there so well first why not join in we were the only Aussies um, at the conference it was mostly people from different uh, large cities in the US and it was funded by a group who had um, gotten together in Boulder to um, I guess change the narrative in Boulder about why they needed um, growth and housing particularly for key workers who were basically commuting into Boulder because they could no longer afford to, to live in Boulder and, and they had done some fundraising and, and put a conference on. But it was at that conference that I got inspired by the fact that this is really a mindset and it's a, a movement and it was a lady by the name of Sonia Trous who I um, credit as really turning Yimby into a movement over in the US. And, um, and it's a really simple message. She was working uh, in San Francisco. She was walking back to the train um, every evening after work and commuting back to Oakland because that's where she could afford to live. And one day she walked by City Hall and she saw these people protesting against a new housing project in San Francisco. And she was sitting on the train going, hang on, why do people not want any more housing? Yet, you know, we're all sitting here on this train commuting out of there, even though we work in San Francisco because we can't get enough housing. There's not enough housing and the prices are going crazy. And so she turned up at City Hall the next day um, with her own <laughs> placards protesting the protesters and saying, we need more housing in this city. And that got the attention of a bit of social media at the time and ultimately to New York Times. And that's when the story broke. And I, I feel like that's really when it turned into a movement. Yeah. And we said, we need this uh, in Australia. So we've set up Yimby Queensland for exactly that reason, to just be part of the conversation and put a different narrative on the table. That's so good. That's awesome. When was that Bolter conference? 2016. Yeah, okay. And they've had one every year since, except for COVID did put a bit of a spanner in the works. Yep. So they have certainly turned to more uh, consistent virtual um, group chats um, since then. But it has certainly broadened out um, the second year. Groups from London um, uh, and in the UK came along and also... I think um, Sweden has a very strong uh, movement as well in, in the YIMBY space. But now once you start to map where the YIMBY groups are around the world, um, it, it's certainly uh, growing and we're finding that there's so many similar stories. So of course, different settings, different cities, different pressures, yeah. but um, a very consistent um, narrative. So it's great to almost form this global network of um, aligned thinkers and it's not just planners of course you know I'm a planner you're a planner and, and we're sitting here talking planning but it's much um, much broader than planning and design and architecture and development it's um, the transport lobby active transport walking groups um, health found uh, heart foundation healthy cities shady cities affordable cities social justice um, cities and it's it's very much become a a group of people aligned with one goal that we need we need more housing and uh, and uh, more types of housing and the lifestyle uses and services and infrastructure that come with absolutely living yeah and so I mean it's a movement now which is fantastic so hopefully that means we're getting closer 
to working together. <laughs> Where are we at, do you think, in reaching some common ground, you know, and, and getting that broad understanding in the community about future growth and good development and, and what that can do for, for people's existing lives? Look, I, I, I feel like it's a constant um, discussion and certainly a discussion that's got a lot of interest, sometimes a lot of heat and, uh, you know, and sometimes it does feel like you've you've taken a step forward and then two steps backwards when you see some of the discussion that still happens um, in the media particularly and, and on particular projects. But I, I think generally there's uh, an increased awareness um, of the benefits of development and housing and even just a, an increase in urban literature. Like people are genuinely interested and want to be a part of their, their neighbourhood discussion. And so even if um, there's an increase in people who are uh, in fear of change, uh, cautious about what development is happening in their neighbourhood or worried about a project, I still feel like um, it's exciting because people are interested and passionate about their neighbourhoods. And I think um, as we've all discovered during COVID lockdowns and, uh, and other restrictions on our movement, we're all um, spending a lot more time in our own neighbourhoods and starting to appreciate um, that certain neighbourhoods have more accessibility to uh, services and to restaurants and to, uh, you know, infrastructure and um, things that make those urban environments great. And, um, and I, I think that interest in in a neighborhood is is certainly there on the table it's you know it's 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 uh it's one of the hot topics in local papers and local magazines and so i just love that interest i think we've got a long way to go to improve the discussion and the depth of the discussion but at least a lot of people are talking about it and um and and that's the starting spot yeah, exactly. And I think you're so right. It's now, you know, we were restricted at a certain point in this pandemic to movement within our kind of five kilometre radius. And, you know, I think it made me appreciate, wow, like my favourite coffee shop is a lot further away than that. And, you know, I don't have the ability to, um, you know, visit the doctor within that proximity. You know, I, I do need to sort of leave that, that sort of five kilometre. And, you know, if there was more inclusive zoning and land use settlement plans to allow for more services, and more facilities and more sort of things that I need every day to be within that sort of, you know, great if it was in walking distance, but, you know, it just that cycle distance would be um, so much beneficial to my health, <laughs> um, yes. to the amount of time I spend sort of commuting and sitting in a car, um, you know, and, and I would love to be able to sort of, you know, reduce the number of times I have to put the children, you know, the three kids in the car every time we sort of go somewhere. Um, and I think, yeah, a lot of that is about you know, there is a fear around sort of new developments pushing into areas that whilst there might be real benefits for those developments to happen in those areas, you know, the communities of those areas are, are still so resistant to some of that change. I, I feel like that's exactly it. it. It's almost, you know, bringing, bringing the issue to the fore because people are much more aware. And I, I think it's also a really interesting discussion to understand some of the terminology that's used like um, neighborhood character and it's so fascinating because it's a hot topic in uh, Brisbane I'm sure it's a hot topic in the Gold Coast but you, you look at the US and it's the hot topic in Portland or um, San Francisco and it's this neighborhood 
character and what we understand by neighbourhood character and what we want to actually protect by neighbourhood character. But I think the the pandemic and that um, you know fact that we are spending a lot more times in our own neighbourhoods, people are, are starting to think differently about what the you know what is the character of their neighbourhood, and um, you know is is it. Um, changing values so I, I think it's about people um, becoming more familiar with what is within walking distance of, of their own um, place where they they live and um, and starting to have a look at the places that they did previously drive to to recreate or to go to cafes or you know to, to go to the doctors and um, and when you look at those neighborhoods that are very rich, with diversity um, and lifestyle attributes and infrastructure, you start to look at that housing mix there and and say, okay, there is different forms of housing here, different densities of housing here, and then the lifestyle benefits that go with it. And actually, if you start looking at what's the neighbourhood character, walkability is that neighbourhood character and people are starting to change the value. I think it's, it's, it's trying to have that discussion about what is of value um, to you. Uh, I, I think convenience is also becoming a greater value. People are, you know, the name of your podcast, Hustle and Bustle, people are time poor. So convenience, walkability, um, you know, an interest in um, mental health has, has become much more openly talked about um, and particularly during lockdowns and um, the stress that's come with uncertainty and um, isolation. And, and so if we start talking much more about um, the values that we hold and what our urban environment looks like in terms of whether it's helping that or hindering that, I think then we start to have much more of a conversation about what are the benefits um, of development. Yeah, totally. So we've probably already touched on some of them, but I'm just keen to just maybe flesh out a little bit more about what some of the key challenges we face in gaining that broad stakeholder and community support for growth in Southeast Queensland. What are some of those key barriers that we're finding now? I feel like it is, um, fear of change is, is there, uh, of, of course, it's quite strong. And I think um, we do often, um, there's there's a misunderstanding of a lot of um, issues to do with uh, performance-based planning, which is one of the concepts that we as planners struggle to help the community to understand. So I think there's there's a bit of a fear of change. There's a fear of the developer or not wanting to support the big end of town, you know, the greedy developer that gets talked about in the media. And then there's just literally a growing either mistrust or misunderstanding of what um, the development approval process is for new development. And um, and I, I think that perhaps those three fears are the things that um, drive people to, um, to be concerned. Of course, there's also a lot of people's private uh, wealth or risk in their properties so property values comes into that discussion and perhaps there's a few urban myths in there as well about what impact new development does have on um, property uh, values and um, and I think 
yeah, again, it's probably trying to turn that around to look at what um, what are the benefits, how, how they relate back um, to our values is probably the way to start that conversation. I think the media itself, um, there's been some studies, particularly one um, from UQ, that talked about, well, actually analysed the terminology that was put into news articles about new development, and it was absolutely, um, you know, ripping the heart out of suburbs or floods of development and it was it was just so emotive that it has become a very emotional issue and the only way to really start to turn that around is to make sure there's uh you know different perspectives put on the table because we're we're one community but there's going to be of course a lot of different values um, but it's starting to to share that and show um, the benefits of creating inclusive cities that I think is the best way to change those attitudes. Yeah, well, one that really sticks in my head is the, the sardine city, you know, that yes. we're getting packed in like, in, you know, sardines in a, in a sardine can. And I think that kind of there's a there's an image that I, I think I've seen in, in a local paper that sort of has sardines sort of spilling out of this sardine can, which is high rises, you know. Yes. And, um, yeah, it's one, it's one that it's hard to get away from once you sort of start to put development next to you know negative connotations it's hard to see what those benefits are and to reflect on what the benefits of growth are maybe we could just sort of list a few of those benefits because right you know so I mean you you know your top few benefits what would you you know you had to sort of pick a few that you know if it's a community member who's concerned about growth and concerned about a new development that's happening in their backyard what are sort of some of those benefits that they might see from that or that they should expect to see from a development I think that's a great Um, place to start and I think it's also um, looking at it from an individual perspective and then looking at it from uh, you know what's so what's good for you as the individual that's probably always a a good place to start because people can relate to it and it means something to them and then what it means uh, within their community and what it means in terms of you know being a good good citizen or um, creating a good community for the future. And so I think even when you look back at the individual, um, I, I think having that conversation about have, you know, where did you live before you live now? Um, so yes, if you if you live in a house, um, it does tend to be that people who live in areas that are pri- primarily single family dwellings then feel that that should be the, the types of housing that occur in that area, yet, um, there's, they're probably themselves lived in either um, a unit or a rental before they were able to move into their house or if they're at that stage in their life where they've got um, children who might be going to move out of the home um, and then they start to look around at the prices that, you know, maybe when they bought their home 20 years ago, it's certainly not what the price is going to be now. How are their children going to be able to buy a home or rent a home or live anywhere near um, that neighbourhood. But equally themselves, you know, when when their needs change, if they do become um, empty nesters, for example, is that house still going to be the home that they want? Do they want to downsize in, you know, when, when they become a smaller household? At the very first UMB conference, I heard a really powerful um, speech by a lady who went by the... Um, acronym Yimby Mum and she was a <laughs> mum obviously yeah. uh, with a partner and two children and uh, and the first example she gave was you know uh, unfortunately she had 
separated from her husband. So one household became two households and her husband um, had the kids some of the time but was happy with a smaller place. So he wanted a different type of house, but close enough that they were in the same neighbourhood. And then she thought, well, you know, in five to ten years, my kids are going to be old enough to want households of their own. So we've gone from one household to four households. That's a pretty simple way to look at what growth is and then look at the different needs of what that is. It's not, we're not all, all of those four families aren't necessarily going to need a house. So I think those personal stories are the best ones to really start to build the bridge and to help people to understand it from broader than their, their current um, circumstance. But then I think the, you know, the bigger issues uh, are then also looking at that externally so you know we can look at ourselves and say we're pretty comfortable in our house uh what about you know the 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 people that um are in a a lower income um workplace or have health issues that have made it very difficult to work or other pressures in life um you know how, how do we become a better society to make different price points, you know, different levels of affordability, different types of housing. Um, and, you know, equally as, as we might have had, um, you know, new people come into our community, they might need a stepping stone into a community into different um, ways. So we can be a more uh, inclusive society, but then equally it's about getting a mix of the lifestyle things that we've all come to love and enjoy. So I, I think a lot of people would like to be able to walk down the road and, and get a coffee or, um, yep. you know, uh, have that support, little neighbourhood centres, a lot more diversity than, you know, what we typically call a, a dormitory suburb that's just all single family dwellings. People, people fight for that, but is that actually really what they want? And so we need to be able to show people alternates. Yeah, and I think from my experience, community members seem to understand that we need to grow and that people mm. do need homes. Mm. Uh, you know, um, they're, you know, we've got an increasing homeless rate and those sorts of things, but it's, it tends to be, well, can't they go somewhere else? You know, what about, like, there's greenfield land over there or, you know, we thought that the plan was for it to go here or, you know, and, and it's, I think, I think it's, it's articulating why growth needs to happen kind of everywhere. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's really fascinating because the newer growth areas are tending to be much more diverse than our older outer suburbs Um, because, you know, that that is much more um, front of mind as people are planning new master plan communities to make sure that there is inclusivity and there's um, diversity and, you know, different... uh, types of housing to meet different people's needs and um, local centres and connections and activity centres and then um, you know that that is um, working quite well in greenfield areas Um, but of course as there's um, less and less land available and I guess um, pressure to increase um, infill development which we know is you know extra Um, duplexes, triplexes or little um, bits of extra density within our established neighbourhoods, that's where the the NIMBY not in my backyard voice tends to come. So it was always a little bit easier to help a community understand that yes, we know that there's more population coming into our city or our um, region and if that extra growth was going to be taken up at the outskirts of town with no existing neighbours because it was a big block, you know, you know, 
piece together property uh, that was that was easy. It rolled out. It was low hanging fruit. As that um, awareness that we need more diverse neighbourhoods, the neighbourhood. Well, there's a bit of background noise here. We thought we'd found a quiet spot, but um, it's all happening Friday afternoon. We've got um, music in the background and and sort of machinery going on, but that's okay. Um, look, we're nearly out of time, but I just want to finish on. Um, what do you think will happen if we can't kind of resolve this? You know, what will happen if these tensions between the community developers and government, you know, I spoke with Greg Tupperkoff last week about the development industry and how they're really keen to work together and to remove the fence. You know, there's sort of one side of the fence versus the other side of the fence. Um, so, you know, what will happen if these tensions continue as we are currently, do you think? Uh, look, I, I think San Francisco is probably a pretty clear example of what happens because they have had you know a, a lot of growth uh, in their city and it's a very unaffordable city now and there's a high amount of homelessness and I think unfortunately if we can't um, have the conversation the situation will um, create itself that we just need more housing for um, you know a housing crisis and and sometimes that is what it takes that's sometimes that's the pendulum that has to shift um, but hopefully hopefully that's not what it comes to I, I think um, the more we can have the conversation and build bridges so I like that idea of tearing down the fence uh, you know or is it build bridges but we need to find where we're aligned and um, and start to mend uh, mend those relationships because I think there has been a bit of lost trust a bit of um, you know we, we need to call out when when something does go wrong when when a development isn't a great outcome then we call it out and um, problem solve and try to not um, have that occur again so I, I feel like a bit of open open and honest conversation, but a bit of more of a deep dive into that conversation with the community is where we need to be. Thanks so much, Natalie. That's been so good. I've really appreciated you coming here today and, and having a chat with you about such an important conversation. Um, you know, community's involvement in planning is so important and, you know, we need to be, you know, promoting it and, and educating as many people about the good things about growth. Um, and so I'd really encourage everyone to sort of get involved in YIMBY. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes Thank you. Um, so that we can sort of, you know, keep this conversation going. And if there's people who have heard you today who really want to know more, I'll, I'll link them into you and, and um, hopefully you get a, a groundswell of them um, coming across. Fantastic. <laughs> thank you very much, Nicole. No worries. And thank you for tuning into the Hustle and Bustle podcast this week. I really appreciate all your support. I would appreciate if you could share this podcast with your friends and colleagues so more people can find out about it, which means I can keep making the episodes and keep having great conversations like I did today with Nat. Um, also, you can follow us on Instagram, hustle underscore bustle underscore podcast for guest announcements and to give any feedback on the episodes. So that's all from this episode. Thanks again for listening. Catch you next time. Bye for now.